0: Good morning, my name is Elliot. Today's reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapters 20, verses 19-22. through 22. Please follow along in your own Bibles, or simply listen as the scriptures are read. Again, that's John 20, starting with verse 19. Following the reading, I invite you to respond in worship with the singing of the doxology. Parents and guardians of children in preschool through fourth grade, you are invited to escort your kids to the back of the room to join the Kids comments upstairs. As you are able, we invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Hear the word of the Lord. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord.
1: (laughs) You guys can hear me. Am I on? Hey, praise God. Good morning, church family. Um, As Pastor Matt said, my name is David Ramo. I'm a member here at Haverhill Commons and I am here with my beautiful wife, Mindy. I won't have her stand up. Um, We've been married uh, 14 years, together 15 years. Um, Not married, married 14 years, come this May of 23rd. She's like testing me right now. Um, We have two kids, uh, Theo, who's in eight days will be nine, and he won't let you forget it. Uh, He's a bookworm, and um, he's handsome and intelligent, and my daughter, Lainey, who is six, that is also hiding right now. And she is creative and is able to articulate things that at her age I was not able to articulate in regards to her emotions and her creativity um, just fascinates me. Both of their minds fascinate me and I'm honored to be their father. I don't consider this anything small, Pastor Matt in the Haverhill community sharing this space with me. I'm very grateful, I'm honored, and look forward to sharing what God has placed on my heart to bring with you today. Before I do that, I want to let us have a time of silence so we can kind of prepare our hearts and settle everything that's happening outside and um, try to be present here today. God is good in all the time. God is is good in all the time. If you're struggling with that and you're like, how's God good all the time? I'm going to direct you to Pastor Matt and Marcus and the church team. They'd love to answer that. Or next Saturday. Have at it. Today's message is titled, No God, No Peace. No God, No Peace. When I was younger, my father and I would get into countless arguments. Countless. I'd pray about it. I'd fast about it. And him and I would keep going back and forth. That all stopped around the age of 19. See? Prayer works. That and moving out the house. One of the things my father and I would argue about would be walks to the convenience store. See, there was a particular house on the way to the convenience store that was known for a particular gang. So my father didn't want us going anywhere towards the convenience store. And whenever I'd go to the convenience store, I mean, everybody knew when you were walking down the street, the last thing you wanted to do was make eye contact with anybody on the porch at that house, because you were just inviting trouble. They would do everything from try to stand in your path if you're on the sidewalk, so you'd either have to look at them or deliberately have to walk around them. And if you were walking with your sister, which this kid was, they would say sexually explicit things to try to get a rise out of you. So to keep the peace, you had to keep your eyes straight forward and keep marching ahead. Many people would ignore them, right? That seems like the best thing to do is just keep walking ahead to keep the peace. But there was this one stubborn kid that guy. I shouldn't say stubborn. What I should say is misunderstood. It's very misunderstood as a kid. He had to say something to him. I would usually do this walk with my sister Joanne, and they would say things I did not care for. So I would address them. I was conflicted because, was again, I was trying to have this peaceful walk, do the right thing. Well, they're not going to disrespect my sister while I'm walking with her. No. I felt like I had this brotherly duty to defend my sister. On one hand, I wanted to defend her. And on the other hand, I didn't want things to escalate and put myself or her in real danger. What do I do? Have you ever struggled with trying to figure out what the right thing to do is? You guys had it all figured out. Praise God. Hallelujah. Yes. You guys, are like, oh, what'd you do. No. Regardless of whatever decision I would make that day when walking with my sister, Joanne, and I think there's a picture. Look at her. She's beautiful, isn't she? My, and I would call her Yayan as a kid. So when I was walking with my Yayan, I would make it a point. She would make it a point. To go back to my dad and tell him every little detail. Now you have to imagine, Joanne's walking down the street, looking like she's looking, and these guys are like, Hoo-hoo! they're saying all these comments. And I'm like, I'm like, is this okay? I'm like, be quiet. <laughs> this kid's here. I'm like, be quiet. Leave her alone. She doesn't want to talk to you. And they'll be like, what are you gonna do, little kid? And I'd be like, yeah, be quiet. And Joanne would just kind of pull me along, David, stop it, let it go, let's go. And I'm like turning my head back to tell them what I think about them. More often than not, my interactions with the folks at the Blue House would escalate and my sister would have to constantly pull me along. So I guess you could start to probably see why my dad did not care for me to walk down to the convenience store by myself. I mean, who would be there to pull me along? Can you imagine going toe to toe? And my father's like, yeah, no, you, David, I'm okay. You can stay home. The argument I remember like it was yesterday places me around the age of 12 or 13. That's about what I look like, chubby cheeks and all. It's great. People think they could just come up and go, you're like, no, please leave me alone. My dad related to me that I need to stay in the house and be safe and not walk down to the convenience store. What do you think I told my dad? Okay, dad. No. I said, I am not going to be a prisoner in my own home. He then raised his voice. And in Haitian Creole, he said, David, Which translates to, David, are you not afraid of these people? Do you know what they could do to you? They could kill you. My response was, should I not be more afraid of the person that can kill my physical body than tell my soul where to go? If God is for me, who could be against me? (laughs) Beloveds, I, I heard what my dad was saying. I actually agreed. I didn't want to die. After all, I had my whole life ahead of me. But I also knew what the word of God said. I am more than a conqueror. Greater is he that is in me than that of the world. I can do all things through Christ. But how do I honor my physical father and my heavenly father? I'm conflicted. The world is full of conflict, internally and external. We long for peace. Some of you may be sitting here today, conflicted with the trials of life, asking, what's the right move? Just tell me. What's the right thing for me to do here? I just want to make a decision and be at peace. It may may not have been defending your sister, going down the street against a particular gang. But have you ever experienced a moment where you did feel fear? or where you weren't sure whether or not the right thing or the safe thing to do was necessary at any given moment. Which is it? Conflicted. Lord, just tell me, because I'm hearing every voice but yours. I'm overwhelmed. I'm exhausted. I'm conflicted. What do I do, please, Lord, Just say a word? Peace, peace, Lord, give us peace. Our boy Elliot just read scriptures for us, John chapter 20, verses 19 through 22. I'm grateful he decided to be with this church today to do that, not the many others. We're picking up the story after Jesus has been crucified. And buried. Mary, John, and Peter have been to the empty tomb, and then Jesus appeared to Mary. Mary went back to tell the other disciples that she had seen the risen Lord. That all happened on Sunday morning. Now we're at Sunday evening. The disciples were hiding from the authorities, and they were processing the unbelievable news that Jesus had risen. And then, all of a sudden, Jesus was standing there among them. And it's interesting. The first thing Jesus doesn't say is, I'm here, or boo, surprise, he doesn't say any of that. It was, peace be with you. Why did he say that? Peace be with you. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord again, and again he said, peace be with you. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. See, it's clear, especially looking at verses 19, that for the disciples, the enemy were the Jewish leaders, an external threat. If Jesus only destroyed them, we would be able to live in peace. And since Jesus did not destroy them, The Jewish leaders are still there, and Jesus is dead. So there's nothing else to do but hide, right? Negative. The devil is a liar. They didn't realize by Jesus dying on the cross and conquering death that he got to the root of the problem. God is not interested in fixing things on a surface level, amen? God is a deep God. He wants to go down to the core, the core of the issue which is why Jesus could say, peace be with you. What he just accomplished on the cross that we just celebrated on Easter, or if you're a real Christian, Resurrection Sunday, that was a joke. We could talk about that later, too. He got to the root of the problem. Once we give God our heart and allow him to work on our core issues, we are able to go and spread the good news, not because we're better than, simply because he has sent us and we receive the Holy Spirit. We walk in that confidence. We become people who are not only affected by circumstances, but new creation people who have the partnership of the Spirit and Christ who is in us. Peace to you. We have been given peace through the fellowship of Jesus Christ. Blessed are the peacemakers. Some of us may be thinking we're peacemakers, But how can we give something we do not have? We cannot. Being a true peacemaker requires knowing God. No God, no peace. No God, no peace. There's a difference between knowing God and knowing of God. To know God is to say yes to receiving the Holy Spirit, fellowship with God prayer wrestling with scripture worshiping etc we take Christ in us everywhere we go once you've tasted and see how good God is you don't want to leave God's presence that's why we have the holy spirit because it keeps us present with God so i can make peace with you and i can give you peace because the source of peace lives in me my cup overflows. This world will empty your cup if you don't remain in the presence of God. Someone shout food. Hallelujah, yes, yes, yes. If we were to think every time our belly is full that we don't need to eat for the next couple of days, we would be in for a rude awakening. This past Sunday, I know churches who are contemplating sending people away because they were at capacity due to Easter. I would imagine these are the folks that say, oh, it's that day that Jesus died and resurrected. I just need to get a good spiritual meal, and I should be all set till Christmas. Negative. If we come to church to check the box or think it's to hold us off till the next gathering, we are playing roulette, folks. We need to be those people that fellowship with God, that know God. That's how we remain in his presence. He's given us 24-7 access. Amen? What a good God. That's how we keep our peace. We can access that anytime we want. I've been at a few services here now, and the preaching, the worship, I love it. And I leave here in such peace. I'm like, oh, the presence of God was here. That was amazing. By the time I get into my car, whether I get a phone call or I turn around and my kids decided they were grumpy, that peace evaporates quickly. If I was to wait to hear a word from Pastor Matt or Pastor Marcus or Sister Katie or any other of the many preachers that have been here. I would be in for it because I'm already trying to seek that peace being in that vehicle and I'm going to say oh next Sunday God give me strength oh. hmm. we need God daily not just on Sundays or holidays we need God at our core our hearts amen what does being at peace mean to you is it having the external conflict and internal conflict resolved? I think it was wise for my fellow brothers, Pastor Matt and Pastor Marcus, to encourage me to dig into the origin of the word peace. The Hebrew term for peace, shalom, is derived from the verb to complete, make sound. This verb is often used to express the finish of major buildings. Some examples are found in 1 Kings 7, 2 Chronicles 5, or the walls of Jerusalem, found in Nehemiah chapter 6. This makes me think of the nonprofit organization Habitat for Humanity. They are about helping people in the community improve or renovate their place. I would imagine when they are completed that the community and that individual experiences shalom, Ah, I guess. For me to fully grasp this, my renovational project would have to look different. Shocker, right? Some chicken, potatoes, hallelujah, won't he do it? What else we got? And then some, some rice, because you can't, you can't have a good meal without rice. But what are we going to do with all of that? This is not completed. But then people put in work. And what happens? Boom, shalom. Wow. (laughs) See, now I get that. It's completed, completion. The term is also used as a sense of restoration in Leviticus 6 over paying debts in Jeremiah 16. We see that also in Leviticus 24, verses 18 to 21. Sense of restoration. For me, this is taking a pause. And I think it's, it's beautiful that not even, this wasn't planned, but Pastor Matt was talking about Sister Katie taking a sabbatical. And I think that's important for us to do. What are you doing to make sure your cup is full? Or are you running on fumes? Some of us give and give until we have nothing left to give. Running around asking, well, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? Or uh, how can I fix this? Uh, I just need to think about this more. How can I fix this? And God says, be still and know that I am God. What does knowing God have anything to do with solving the situation? No God, no peace. No God, no peace. Because when you know God, you know true peace. He's the only one that is able to bring about true restoration. Amen? Continuing to look at peace in its origin, we see it being used as a noun in an even broader sense, as a greeting. The root shalom is used to inquire of the welfare of individuals or groups. And there's some scriptures you can find that in, like Genesis 29, 6, or chapter 43, Exodus 18. Samuel 17 and Ezekiel 13. I would imagine in this context of greeting, it was similar to "How are you? What's up? What' it do, bro? You good?" I am curious though if the person asking actually wanted to know one's welfare, or if it was considered an inconvenience for someone to answer truthfully. You know the person. You guys, you know me. I right? I've been told I talk a lot, and I get so offended when somebody says, like, hey, how are you? I'm like, you know, it's good, and I can just tell they're like, yeah, I'm over what you have to say, just being nice. I'm like, well, all right, I'm good. What if somebody were to say shalom, and that person said, actually, I'm not experiencing shalom? Did they roll their eyes and go, oh, here we go? Or did they actually give their full undivided attention? What's going on? You're not at peace? Curious. Peace in its origin also has a sense of shalom as a state of being, as in contentment or tranquility. We see this in Isaiah chapter 32, 17. It draws a parallel between peace and quietness and trust forever as the result of righteousness. The idea of peacefulness at death is a common theme, state of being. Looking at the word peace in its origin, there's no sense of temporary. Everything is about completion, a state of being. There's no, well, we'll have this for a little bit, and then it all goes back to the way it is, a sense of completion. It's not temporary. That theme of completion runs throughout. When I went to the state police academy, people would say, oh, David, it probably helped that you got to go home during the weekends, right? Negative. I had, and you can ask my, my wife, I, I had night sweats. Like I never knew. I've heard people talk about the stress, how stress can affect your body. And I was that guy. I was like, oh, let something else there. It's not stress. And I experienced that at the academy. Night, Sunday nights, I mean, whole bed, soaked, not from urine like night sweats. I was thinking, I figured you were thinking it. I don't know. Night sweats. The night sweats stopped when, not on the weekends, when I graduated the academy, when it was completed. It's like my body knew. I'm like, it's the weekend. We should chill. We should chill. They're like, no, dude, this thing's not done yet. We're going back Monday. The origin of peace shows me that for one to experience peace, one must tackle the root issue. There are no shortcuts, folks. You have to address it. It's about completion. And is that not what our God did by conquering death? He didn't say, it's almost done. He said, it is finished, done. He did that. But if we don't understand that, we cannot operate in that. We start cheapening the peace that Christ has given us for something temporary. We opt for the shortcuts. I'll drink and be at peace. I'll snort this and experience peace. I'll lay with him, I'll lay with her, and have some peace. I'll fatten my bank account, let's work some more. Then I'll have peace, et cetera, and the list goes on. See, God's peace transcends all understanding. Because it's not surface level, it gets to the core, your heart. Ephesians six twelve reads, For our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. When God does things, he goes to the root of the problem. He addresses the core, the heart. This conflict of internal peace and external peace is nothing new to God. That's why he sent his son to die on the cross for us. God sees our struggles. Amen? At times I feel like people just like, you see what's going on right now? God sees that. Following the myriads of laws and sacrificing animals like they did in the past were all temporary, which is why Jesus said, I need to tackle this conflict at the core and to seeing Jesus. man and 100% God. Have you given Jesus your heart so God could address those areas that need healing, so he could bring about true peace? Or are you still looking for shortcuts? Peace looks different for each and every one of us. And I would not short-circuit what God is doing in your life by boxing you in and telling you what peace needs to look like in your life. Though I cannot tell you what it looks like for you, I bet you already know. Are you experiencing peace? Is it internal or external? What God is doing at your core, no human can see, which is why when he addresses it and you're at peace, we may not understand it. How are you at peace? And you have like six kids. How are you at peace? And your bank account's not fat. How are you at peace? I don't know what God is doing at your core. But I know we have access to that peace. Amen? Are you trusting God with your heart? Trusting is hard to do. You want someone to prove that to you. But praise God that he's, hum- he's a humble God and that he chooses to prove himself to us over and over and over again. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And then he gives you other things to remember. He doesn't stop there. As a child, I admit, I was a handful, misunderstood. But I realized (laughs) that what the streets were offering me was temporary. What drugs, popularity, or girls were offering me was temporary. But what God had to offer was peace, not the temporary peace, peace that would last forever. Once I gave God my heart, I realized, not only has he healed me from childhood trauma, but when I begin to become overwhelmed with the brokenness of this world and how corrupt it is, he reminds me, David, I've already conquered that at its root. When my flesh fails and my world disappoints, he's the anchor of my soul, and I could say all is well. So when the world tries to sell me a knockoff version of true peace, I can boldly say, yeah, I'm all set. Because I know they're trying to offer me something they don't have. God's got it. This world loves offering us things as if they have the solution. I'm not even going to get into that, because that can be a whole other sermon. When you realize who really does and that you have access to, it, you, you can boldly say no to the world and yes to God. He is the solution. That's the confidence I was operating in. And whenever I see myself locking doors and going into the fetal position, I know that the enemy is trying to have me believe My Savior is still on the cross, dead. The devil is a liar. God lives. Jesus lives. So I can face every day. Today we're focused on peace, but check God's record. His joy is everlasting. His love is everlasting. His mercies are new every morning. He does not do temporary. points I want to make sure you guys take with you today. Be mindful of what your beliefs are because it will determine your actions. Walking straight ahead that day, if I believed that those gang members really carried my sense of peace, they would have determined my actions. Well, I have to keep the peace, I need to stay in my house. I would do whatever they wanted because I would not want to disturb that peace. It's better if I just stay here. That's what the disciples did after Jesus died. They said, Oh, our sense of peace is in the hands now of the Jewish leaders. Let's stay here and lock the door so we don't disturb the peace. This is where we'll be okay. This is a good place for us to do a real hard self check. As we're here today, do you truly believe God has what you need? Or do you think it's elsewhere? Your beliefs will determine your actions. Second point I want to leave you with is that there's no shortcut to receiving the peace of God. You have to give God your heart so he could work at the core issues. God's not trying to give you a weekend peace. He's not trying to have you just be okay while you're here and fight the world. He wants you to constantly access that. So he breathed and said, receive the Holy Spirit. There's no shortcuts to receiving the peace of God. And my third point, which is what I titled the sermon, when you know God, you know peace. You don't know God or know God, know peace. Wrestle with God, beloveds. Ask those hard questions. Don't just look straight ahead and coast through life. That's not the peace of God. Everything about you was calculated. That peace we all yearn for, we won't find in a self-help book, recreational drugs, etc. It's only in Jesus Christ, period. Get to know him, because when you know God, you know peace. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are and for giving us your word. We love you and pray like this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.